Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We're joined today by Jeff Sislow, a top-producing real estate broker and investor serving the Minneapolis real estate market. Jeff has specialized in effectively working with buyers, sellers, and investors for over 30 years. He listens, responds, represents, and performs in the best interests of his clients. His focus is on efficiency, effectiveness, and excellence. As a result, he outperforms the industry in a variety of categories. Jeff is a worldwide traveler, has been the guest speaker and presenter at events across the country, and is a seasoned author who's published two books. He also enjoys tennis, golf, and staying physically active. Now, let's welcome Jeff to the call as we join our host, Tim Harris. So, Mr. Sislow, first of all, I want to uh, thank you sincerely for being my co-host for today's podcast. Julie and I have known Jeff for probably at least two decades. Julie and I originally discovered or uh, befriended Jeff way back in the Howard Brinton days, and I remember listening to Jeff's Howard Brinton interview and wanting uh, to meet him because he had such a fantastic story. And I, I don't know how often you talk about how you got started in real estate, Jeff, but I think a lot of our podcast listeners will appreciate the fact that you know you have earned it, you've done it yourself, you've you know brought yourself up, you haven't had any sort of shortcuts to your success. So it'd be great if we could talk about that. And the thing that most impresses me about Jeff is the fact that he is one of these folks in the industry that in my opinion and Julie's opinion are the true backbone of the industry. He's somebody who has been in this industry through about every real estate cycle you can imagine. He's never he's sold in a normal market, normal price ranges, and he has made a career out of real estate. He's not ho- he's not a hobbyist, he's not looking for gimmicks. He's a drilled down focused person. That's how I always remember him. I know that's how he is today. So Jeff, thank you very much for being my co-host for today's Real Estate Coaching Radio. Tim, it's great to uh, connect. It's been a while. Uh, I'm honored to be a guest on your show. I'm, uh, I'm excited to have learned a little bit about your success and your coaching. So uh, congrats to you on that. And uh, again, it's a pleasure to be here today. I'm just riding on my wife's coattails as always, Jeff. You might remember that. So um... <laughs> Yes, I do. <laughs> Like all of us. So what uh, can you do you mind sharing with them a little bit of your pre real estate background? Because that was one of the things that really I thought was most impressive. Sure. Uh, I guess where I would give a lot of the credit to my success in real estate uh, would come from the Marine Corps. I spent four years in the U.S. Marines right after high school. And uh, while I was in the Marine Corps, I was working in the computer field. Uh, I got a you know, good position. I wasn't out there uh, having to shoot people or anything like that, but uh, I got really good disciplined training in boot camp, and, and I like that. I do like the structure, and it certainly challenged me and uh, formed and shaped me more as an individual. I was always kind of uh, competitive and an entrepreneur mind. Even, you know, in junior high school, I was trading stocks in the, in the hallway, right? Uh, <laughs> trading options, in fact, on the old touch-tone phones, getting in trouble. Why aren't you in class? Well, I'm doing some stock trades. And they look at me like, are you crazy, kid? 
So anyway, I had all that kind of in me, but the Marine Corps really helped dial in the discipline. If I want to get success in something, I really need to apply myself and, and follow through and, and do what you say you're going to do. So they drilled that into me pretty well. And then after that, I spent seven more years, another seven years in the, uh, in the world of IT. I was doing mostly hardware. I was writing operational manuals for, for uh, you know, systems and procedures for installations that we uh, worked at back in control data back in the day. In the last year and a half, we were working in IT with, with uh, uh, program trading for Wall Street, the institutional buy and sell, the order execution. So here I am again back in the world of stocks and so forth. But I said to myself, you know, there's got to be something more than what I'm doing. I mean, I was making $25,000, $26,000 a year. And I said to myself, Jeff, you're not on the right elevator. You're, you're not on the right elevator. There's another elevator somewhere that goes higher than $26,000 a year. And so I came to the conclusion that real estate was that elevator. And in the very first year, back when prices were like $80,000, I sold 58 houses and I earned $75,000. So I'm on a new elevator all of a sudden. And it was really exciting. And I, I really started to grasp real estate. And uh, after that first year, I moved from Coldwell over to Remax Results. Remax Results is the number one Remax in the world right now and has been for a number of years. I've been with the same brokerage for nearly 31 years now. It's a great place. And I've had all kinds of fun in real estate. But that's the beginning. That's how I got started through some discipline and some planning and executing and following through. I know you do a lot of mentoring. I mean, you'd have to after being in the business for three decades of new agents. They all must sort of be looking for the secret sauce. They must be looking for some kind of, you know, I'll stick with the word secret. You don't have a secret other than what we like to say, doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. But for you, that's become second nature. How do you convey to people who are looking for shortcuts that there is no shortcut? Well, you tell them, number one, because uh, you get asked that question all the time. Yeah, I mean, what is, what is the secret to your success? And I, I kind of alluded to it. I'll repeat it. The secret to the success is to have some type of a plan and then follow through with it. Now, some people say, well, let's go with a Stephen Covey approach. Uh, focus on the end rather than the means. And then another person will say, you need to map it out. You need to have how many calls and, and how many appointments and how many, how many listings to get so many sales and, and map that out and follow that on a regular basis of prospecting. Both of those are true. Both of them will work. But the important thing is you need to do something and then do it on a regular basis. So if you're focusing on the end rather than the means, you need to get into the office and you need to do some very specific things on a regular basis, knowing that in the end, I'm going to get here. And you focus on that with, with an expectation, but you also have to follow it up with action. If you don't do a regular job of, of, of applying your, your, uh, your energies and your, your activities during the day, you have to do that on a regular basis. And it's so easy. What I find myself, I'm challenged with it myself today, in today's world, it's so easy to get distracted. So if you are aware of that, I'm distracted all the time. If someone can admit that to themselves and then cut those things out and focus on the dollar productive activities, they will find that's the secret to making more money in real estate today. 
How do you say no to all the gimmicks? Because, you know, I, I wanted, I was thinking whether or not I should tell the story, but I think you'll appreciate it, Jeff. This might just be for Jeff and I. <laughs> I remember back oh. at a Howard Britton. <laughs> I remember, well, it's not bad. I remember back at a Howard Britton event. I remember when Howard used to have um, all the stars and anybody else bring all their, you know, collateral, their marketing, their ego stuff. And they'd all put it on these tables in the back room. I'm sure you remember that. And all of us had these Correct. little displays because we all, we all convinced ourselves that somehow we'd get referrals from it. And sometimes you did. Mostly it was just for the sake of people ooing and awing your marketing. But I remember looking at this big table. This is when we were relatively new in the Howard Britton group. And I remember looking at this big table of all this stuff, all these ideas. And some of it was, most of it was brilliant. And um, I remember Jim Duvall, uh, which I'm sure you remember him, walked up. And I remember I him saying, I remember him just looking at all the tables, Jeff, and he goes, this is all he said. You know, he's, he loved to hit the, hit, you know, hit people, these singers and walk away. He said, you can always tell when the housing market's doing good. Agents love to waste their money. And he just walked away. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Jim. I mean, yep. Totally right. So how do you, you've seen all these gimmicks come and go in three decades. You've seen everything from, I mean, you, I don't even have to tell you. How do you know how to discern the good things to chase or the bad things, or do you just say, I'm going to stick to my true North, what I know works, and I'm going to avoid the temptation of the gimmicks. Do you understand the nature of the question? I certainly do. Uh, here's what I used to do years ago, uh, because this isn't anything new. There's just more of it today. But I mm -hmm. used to, with my staff, I'd say, look, if anything is going to cost me more than $500, and that's the number that I happen to pick, and maybe someone liking this idea might pick their own number, but if it's going to cost me more than $500, I want to sit and mull it over and, and certainly find out if there's other people that have made money by investing in this gimmick. Uh, and there's all kinds of online stuff. There's all kinds of social media gurus right now that you know, I'm tired of listening to it. And most of the time, I haven't really received the return that I'm looking for. So you can set a limit. Uh, you need some references, you know, talk to people. It, it's, it's hard because they're all there and we think it's going to make us more money. What I really come to learn is if you want to make the most money in real estate, you need to keep talking to people face to face as, as much as possible, but be on the phone, prospecting, talking to people asking for referrals constantly do that all the time you should do it at least two hours a day most agents and i would say most i'm gonna i'm gonna venture a guess 95 percent 95 percent would be my guess of agents do not prospect for even an hour a day let alone two hours a day if they did they would make money when i got started in the business when i really started to see my business grow from 58 sales and you know up and over 100 and then up to 150 you know it just kept going uh up to over a couple hundred at a time and i didn't have a big team no i was just talking to people all the time my goal was to make 100 phone calls a day that's going to make you way more money than than writing checks to the various online uh gurus of the day uh, there's many of them. I won't mention uh, by name, but there's many of them out there. So, you know, I know people that that have spent $20,000 a month is all oh, we're making a lot of money on, on the leads. And, you know, maybe they are, but that's a big nut to crack 20 grand a month in uh, online expenses to have my name popping up on people's computer. You know, I, I could spend 
just a couple hours a day calling and talking and networking to people and following up on leads. But my goal was 100, and I hit it often, but I normally was calling 75 to 100 people a day. Some were expired. There's not many in this market. Some were for sale by owners. There's a few of them in this market because it's easy to sell a house right now. Uh, but I would call I would call apartments. Have you ever given any thought of stepping out of the apartment and into a new house? Well, I've thought about it, but I don't think I have enough money. Well, may I ask how much money do you have down? Well, I got about 10000 I said, well, if I could get you into a house with 10000 and reduce your monthly payment from what you're paying in rent, would you be interested in making a move? And you know what? They'd say yes. So you have to have a dialogue. You have to have a script. You have to have a system, and you continually make the calls on a regular basis. You'll make so much money. That's how I built my business, by calling people and talking to them. Totally. And, you know, here's the thing that's interesting. I do not do not know of a single – well, so there's lots of agents, you and you know, you said it, that are pushing a lot of numbers, but they aren't making a lot of profit. And we've had them on these interviews on, on our podcast before, and we've had them as coaching clients. And they don't they don't feel the pain until the economy starts to shift. But there's so Jeff, the, the the mindset has been that if you're like the margins that agents are willing to accept from their teams is now around 10% before taxes. And um, I remember back in the Howard days, how we always used to focus on the conversation about being the margins being about 50%. But now as agents have spun up their buyer's agent staff and they're buying leads from all these different lead sources, they don't realize they're not making any money. And everywhere they turn, everyone they talk to, they're all suffering the same fate as far as no profit in their business. Um, and it's almost like the industry is asleep to the fact that selling real estate really is probably one of the best things you could do for a living. But only if you're running a profitable real estate practice, which so few people are illuminated to anymore. It's almost like it's like doing the real work, like what we're doc- talking about on this podcast. It's almost become something that people don't even want to consider because they're so addicted to the gimmicks. Have you noticed a real change in agents and brokers and in everything, the industry's mindset towards real work? Have you noticed a change like I have in the past 10 years? Uh Elaborate on the word real work so I can best answer. Prospecting. Prospecting. Oh, Being, yeah. Having yeah, a business. Yeah, no, they exactly. Have... They're, trying, they're trying to go the easy route. Absolutely, yes. They are trying yeah. to buy the leads. They're trying to buy the business. And then on the other part of your initial comment, Tim, was that we're seeing these crazy splits. So the, the profit to the, to the rainmaker or the team lead, right, the profit for their company or their business the margin is so small. I, I've seen it shrinking. And then when you when you couple it with the fact that there's more agents than there are listings out there, the agents that are trying to survive, guess what they do with their commission? Uh, they really negotiate on it, you know? And so that shrinks the margin even further. So the team leads are getting smaller pieces of smaller pieces. I'll tell you, it's going to be very interesting to see how many of them continue to survive, but they're, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm not putting agents down because we've all been there and kind of done it to some degree, but you know, there's, there's a thing called ego that can get in our way and it has a way of getting into our pocketbook and kind of taking money out of it. So the hip national bank no longer has cash in it. It's becoming, you know, a sinkhole and and where's my money, right? Where did it all go? I thought I, I thought I made a million dollars or million five, Uh, you know, gosh, darn it. I owe a bunch of taxes and I don't have any money to pay for it. We've seen this. We've seen it happen to people before. It happened to me once. It happened to me once back in 1989 when I came to do my taxes. I, I made a mistake and 
but I only made the mistake once. I learned to do things differently. But uh, people do that. They unfortunately fall into a problem of not having any money at the end of the day. At the end of the month, they're, they're short. They're in the red. What, what scares me about this, and then I have another great question. Hopefully it's a great question. But what scares me about this is there's so many people that are listening, hundred and I don't know, probably 26,000 will listen to this show, that have only known the industry in the past 10 years. And the, you know, buying buyer lead sort of thing, the big spin up of the team, the buying buyer, basically buying leads, you know, building big teams and having really, really low profit margins, not even knowing you have a unhealthy profit margin, but, you know, because you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're going to conferences and it's reinforcing the bad business decisions, the whole thing. So you just don't know any better. What scares me is there's a whole generation of people that literally have never been told that there's a better, more profitable way to do the business. So you know, listeners, it's up to you to basically decide what path you're going to choose, but don't do what most people, most agents do. Wait for the economy to change and then realize basically you made some bad decisions. I, Jeff and I aren't going to turn this call dark, but there, he and I know a lot of people who have literally met the ends of their lives because they couldn't uh, handle a shifting market because of their overheads, because of their their, their personal wealth situation changed. That happens every time. I'm not predicting. I don't know if Jeff might be a just very smart. He might know way more than about this than I do. He probably does. I'm not predicting any kind of big recession or any sort of blow up in the economy anytime soon. But for all the top producers out there listening, you better be listening to what Mr. Sislow is talking about here. It, because at the end of the day, you're in business to make a profit. And that's something I always remember about Jeff. Jeff at these Howard Brenton events, he wouldn't be one of these big ego agents that's, you know, walking around with his chest, you know, puffed up and, you know, that type of thing wasn't Sislow. Sislow was somebody I always knew when I went to talk to him, he wasn't going to bullshit me and he was going to, the conversation was going to steer back to profit. So let's talk about that. How do you, what have you done over your career? Like what have been the, what have been the North Stars for you? Because I know you're a big into investing now. I'd like to talk about that a little bit. How long you've been doing it? Give these agents some you know, light at the end of the tunnel as far as what they should be maybe gearing their businesses towards in, in, with investing. Okay. Um, let's go back to pre-big crash, like 12 years ago or so when the market started to head south. I was caught up in all the frenzy. It's easy to get caught up in the frenzy. So there's a little frenzy going on right now. So my antenna is up because I got caught in it before and I lost millions of dollars because I had a lot of property and I was buying property in Florida had like 16 of them down there. I had a bunch of rentals up here. These are all rentals. I just kept buying, making lots of money in commissions, you know, fat, fat, you know, commission dollars, big dollars, right? And I'm just buying houses, buying houses, thinking that the profit was going to go up. I was making six fingers, six figures a month in appreciation on my real estate holdings. I think this is great. I love this. And I had a negative $12,000 a month cash flow at the time. It says, that's no big deal because I'm making so much money, right? Frenzy, frenzy, frenzy. We're getting a little frenzy right now. So what happened? The market started to go down and I got caught owning all these properties, paying 12 grand a month. The sales were slowing down and that could happen again to some degree. We don't have crazy lending like we did back 12 years ago, 15 years ago, but we have some kind of craziness going on a little bit. So keep your antenna up and be, you know, cover yourself just in case. Be a little bit more conservative and not so you know crazy like i was back then so the market went down i ended up uh you know it took three and a half years to what i call deleverage the holdings of these properties i uh, had a couple of short sales had a couple of foreclosures 
lost a boatload of money, you know, 85% of our net worth, then had a two-year divorce. We paid a quarter million to the lawyers and, you know, oh my gosh, you know, and then we split that, what we had left. And so that was part of my investing background, but now let's talk about what I've done in the last six years since the divorce. I get back into it because what do I do? I know real estate. I know real estate. So I'm going to do what I know best. So in addition to, you know, the selling, representing buyers and sellers and investors, and getting paid commissions, I started to function by uh, uh, building my, my wealth back up again. And I did it through IRAs. I did it through Roths. I, of course, have LLCs that I own properties in. And I have found over the last now five years that I'm going to do these fix and flips. I came to realize that if I do, if I buy a house, I'm in the business, I should see deals. If I buy something that I can turn around and make a profit on, uh, this does a couple things. One, the profit margin on one of these, and it takes experience, it takes time. So if the listeners are just new to this, I'm just giving you kind of the summary of where I'm at with this and why I'm so excited about it. And it's a supplement. Now it's, it's more prominent as far as my income goes, my profit goes, it's greater than my commissions. But my average is a little over 50, about $51,000 per house. Well, if I want to profit based on our average sale price in the Minneapolis area, my average sale price, after expenses of you know advertising, marketing, paying staff, and so forth, it's about eight or nine sales transactions where I represent a client. Eight or nine of those will equal one of my flip projects. So I said, hmm, why don't I do more flips? So if I'm doing you know five flips, it's like 40 or 45 house sale. Oh, that's pretty good. And I don't spend nearly as much time. The profit is equal. So now I'm trying to do one of these a month. My, my goal and where I've been kind of moving uh, and growing this uh, fix and flip is about one a month. Well, that's not bad. If I'm doing 50, uh, that's 600 grand profit a year. That's not bad. I mean, I can certainly live on that because I don't have any expenses because it's a planning thing. It's a whole thing. Know your numbers. It's a planning thing. So not to boast about those numbers. There's people that have greater numbers than me, do way better than that. But it's something that I think everyone in real estate should plan on. Get yourself a Roth. Get yourself a Roth IRA. Learn how to do a self-directed Roth IRA so that all your flips are now tax-free. Isn't that amazing? That's unbelievable. There's so few people that I know in the business that even invest, let alone have an IRA or even a Roth. That's how you build wealth. So there's just some nuggets there to consider because we're not necessarily talking about how to do all this, but mark my words, that is the most amazing, it's kind of like the eighth wonder or ninth wonder, whatever of the world is build your wealth in a Roth. It's unbelievable and do it through real estate. So is there any limit how much really you can, well, 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 Jeff, let's hover there. Is there any limit sure. to how much you can put into a Roth? Because as a normal, yeah, you're talking about putting your profits from, uh, but the, explain that. Just drill down a little bit because they're going to email you sure. asking okay. you if you don't tell them. <laughs> yes, okay. Uh, you can put 5,500. I, I, I'm pretty sure these are the numbers. If you're under 50 years or 55 years old, you can put $5,500 a year in the Roth. I think it's 55 years old. If you're over 55 years old, you can put $6,500 a year in a Roth. Well, that doesn't do a whole lot, but what you can do as self-employed people you can put 25% of your adjusted gross income, I believe. I'm not the accountant, and I'm going to hold my disclaimer out there. I'm not giving advice, right? All right, so 
25% of your income can go into a regular Roth. So let's just pick a number. Let's say you have $100,000 adjusted gross and you can put 25% into a regular IRA, not the Roth, a regular IRA. Now you're going to pay taxes on 75,000. Very simplified, right? So you're getting the deduction for the investment into your retirement accounts. So the 25,000 is not in a Roth, it's in a regular IRA or a 401k, right? Oh, that's now, that, okay, that's where I was confused. It. Yeah, that's now where I was confused. I would it. So you take right. Go ahead, Tim. Well, no, no, no. I because I knew the, 20, the limit was 55. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you're directly you're, into the you Roth are just 55 or 65. But now you can put it right. into your non-Roth IRA. And in this scenario, you earn 100, you can put 25% in, so you put 25,000 into your regular IRA, then you convert it into the Roth, which means now you're going to pay taxes on it. You first got the deduction over here by not having to pay taxes on the 25,000, but now you're going to pay taxes on the 25,000 because you're moving it from the regular into the Roth. With me? Got it. On that? Yes. Now, yep. guess what? Now in one year, you now have a little over 30,000 or a little over 31,000 in your Roth, okay? You can't borrow money. You cannot borrow money from a bank unless it's a, uh, to buy real estate unless it's a non-recourse loan if you're doing this with your, your uh, IRA. And no one's going to really do those. That means, well, if you don't, if you default, that we can't take the property back. No one's really going to loan money that way unless it's a hard money lender. They might, but then the interest rate's super high. So, you want to continue to build the Roth as much as possible. If you partner with someone else that has a Roth you, or, or some type of investment, you can, you can be a part owner in a flip project. For example, let's say in this case, now we got $30,000 in our Roth in one year, right? We got 30,000 there. Someone's going to go ahead and buy a $300,000 property for cash and they like you or you like them or you want to help them a little bit, they're going to put up 270000 and you with your $30,000 in your Roth are going to put that in because they're going to let you do it. They, they probably don't need you to do it, but you find someone that's going to partner with you. You now have $30,000 into this flip project. If that makes fifty grand on the flip, right, you have 10% ownership in this property because you put 30000 down on the three hundred. You get 10% back on your on the on the 50,000 profit. Okay, you get 5,000 bucks. You put in 30, you get back five in maybe four months. Not a bad investment, huh? That's how you get started with this stuff. Until you can do it on your own and you have enough money to buy your own properties, and maybe if you've got someone that's on your team, you let them, you, you help them grow their wealth. You let them and show them how to build their Roth. Get started. Give them a little piece of your action. Talk about retention. Talk about people staying on your team. You're helping them build wealth. They can't do it without you. That's what you do to build wealth and uh, loyalty with the team. So, guys, that's how a business person thinks, if you're curious. <laughs> he, he, he's, not, he's not thinking about his logo or he's not worrying about his branding. He's worried about wealth building. That's what he's focused on. That's what happens. You can have thoughts like this and take actions like what Mr. Sislow does uh, when you have profit from your real estate practice. So Jeff, we've got some questions that came in that I, um, I've we've actually covered a lot of these, but I think these, some of these are good. We're going to maybe replay here a little bit. What are your primary lead generators? We always get that question. I had it in probably six or seven different formats here while we were on the show. What are your primary lead generators? You know what? Let me reframe that Jeff, because that might be interesting. What were they mm -hmm. like 30 years ago? Yeah. You know, 25 years ago. What yeah. are they now? Primary lead generators. 
Okay, in the past, I did a lot of newspapers. I did press releases written in the third person. I wrote them, but they were written as if Remax wrote them. I did dozens, of, well, I did hundreds. I did hundreds of these in the newspaper. People would say, you're in the newspaper all the time. That was a really good lead generation. Written by the third party, it's, it legitimizes my successes. And I was always saying something, you know, he was topping the whatever this month. That was really, really big. Well, we don't do much newspaper anymore, okay? Now it's pretty much all online. So because of the saturation of online and the expense involved in getting you know, lost in the shuffle, I cut it all out, I'm personally. My prospecting now is going for, I'm looking for deals to buy houses. I have the capacity to buy a number of them at one time and get projects going. So that's a whole nother discussion. But I'll give you one thing that I found in this market because it's so tight. This is a one pearl. If you're looking to invest property, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I'm willing to buy a house at a little bit less than an average, you know, whatever the price is, tweak it a little bit and sell it again because the market's kind of crazy. That's where the, the, we talked about the insanity of a little craze in the market right now. That's kind of it. Don't, don't go overboard with this. I'm being a little cautious. But in the last, uh, I don't know, seven or eight weeks, I bought two houses before they won on the MLS. I go to Facebook. I look at the posts. I see who's got something coming on the market. And I say, you know what? I, I, you know, I see if it's a good value. I can kind of see if it seems like it might be a good deal. I will go ahead. And uh, after I conclude that it is, I'll, I'll get a hold of the agent. And I says, you know, does your seller have any interest at all in potentially selling their house without showing it? Uh, no mortgage. No, uh, you know, no appraisals, maybe not even an inspection. Just let me know when they want the check. Do they have any interest in that? Well, guess what? They're going to go ask the seller. And I bought two of them that way in the last seven, seven weeks or so. I can get something. One was going to go on at 300. I got it for 271 plus I'm getting paid the commission. Another one was going to go on at 235. I got it for 225. But I think it might be a little underpriced. So I thought, you know, I'm going to be kind of closer to that one. But I'm going to make not, I'm probably not going to make 50 on the, maybe on one of them, but I'm going to make way more than a commission. So again, building wealth through being in a position to buy like that in a market that's tight, controlling inventory. If I have the house, if I own the house, guess what? I got a for sale sign out there. I can put some ads. I can get some buyers. I could even do an open house or have someone do an open house, get buyer leads. Inventory is key. So if I don't have a lot of inventory because people aren't calling me because I'm not prospecting as much for inventory any longer, I'm going to create my own inventory because of the wealth building principles that I've got in place that I've built over years. It gives me more arrows in my quiver. I have more tools that I can use to create money in the world of real estate. Income generating. So there's two examples. One of, the, no. one of the past and one, one of the current. So. Yeah, so income generating spokes is what he's describing. And uh, listeners, the, the gist of it is, is that when he started out in the business, he was doing proactive lead generation. He was prospecting. Um, and then as his business and his cash flow and his wealth uh, accumulated, he was able to create his own inventory. That's a natural transition uh, that a lot of top producing agents take. And so that might be something else you can consider. Alan Dom, I mean, if we, I should try to get him on the podcast. He was another example of somebody who started one. out and yeah, and he still, he prospects and he prospects like a fiend, but he got to the point where listeners, he dominated so much of his market. He stopped putting his stuff in the MLS. He did this 
starting back, I think, in the 90s. He just stopped putting his stuff in the MLS because he had such a dominant market share in these downtown Philadelphia high-rises. But he said, look, if you want to see any of the inventory I have for sale, you got to come to my office co-ops. And that just created more opportunity for him to list more properties. All right, so here's another good question. I think this, I, I, I'm curious how you're going to answer this one myself. Do you get bored and how do you fight against being bored? Because there's so much repetitious boredom in real estate. How do you answer that question? That's a that's a good question, and it, 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 I, I would imagine that it has a lot to do with, you know, work ethic, how someone was raised. I mean, we're all a byproduct of all of our past experiences. So, you know, how is a person raised, and, and can can someone, you know, pry themselves out of the framework and, and and make a change? And yes, you know, there's books on that. How how do you uh, you know become a, a better, more successful person? I mean, some bad habits need to get rid of it. You know, it, it, it's hard to answer that. Um, you know, uh, subjectively, but objectively, in my case, I've always got something to do. And a lot of times I get frustrated doing stuff that I don't want to do, but it has to get done. So I get it done. So I spend a lot of time in the office, but I'm working on the numbers. I'm working on the projects. I'm working on the systems. And if you've got help, which I think we all need help, we all need some kind of help, right? But if we have help in the office, someone that's capable, that's smart, that can figure things out, that can take things off your plate. That's part of your business. That's part. And when you have that, uh, you know, we haven't talked for a while, Tim, but I, I travel, you know, my average is probably every 45 to 60 days. I'm gone somewhere really fun, like out of the country. Um, and I'm enjoying that. So that, that kind of fuels my market or, you know, my, my thinking, I should say it fuels my market up in my head, but no, it, it fuels the excitement to be able to go somewhere again. If my business is going well and things are, you know, I've got projects, I've got houses, I've got two pennings waiting to close. So I got projects ahead of me on those. And I've got one ready to go back in the market here as soon as Minnesota warms up. It's the coldest April on record, I think, right now with more and snow and cold. And But I have to do some exterior work in the house. Can't do it till it's warmer. So I'm sitting on the house waiting. But I have projects and then kind of in between those, I can jump on a plane or jump on a cruise ship. My son and I just celebrated his 21st birthday. Gosh, this is fun. I'm really enjoying it. So I don't get bored. I mean, I don't get bored because I created a lifestyle that I love. And people, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to boast about it. It's something that I worked long and hard to do. People say, oh, my gosh, look at you. you you're on another vacation. I can't believe it. You know, you're so lucky. Well, no, it's not really about luck. As we all know, everyone knows that's not luck. It's a, it's a plan. And it's discipline from the Marine Corps days. It's just writing things down. What do you want to do? I don't have all the answers, guys. Believe me, I don't. I'm learning as I go, but I like what I'm doing right now. It's really fun. I've got pictures in my office. I'm walking in my office now. I got pictures with my kids, you know, the Coliseum, the Blue Mosque in Turkey, the Parthenon, <laughs> Santorini Island, uh, Ephesus, Mount Fuji, my daughter and I climbed, Wimbledon, my son and I went to tennis, the Taj Mahal, my son and I are taking a, a uh, uh, flight simulator to fly the space shuttle. These are all trips I've taken my kids on because I had a plan. You guys can do the same thing. I'm not here to boast about what I'm telling you, you can do it. You need a plan. You need to write some stuff down, what's important to you, and then just start taking the steps to do it. And it's, for me, not boring at all. It's not boring. I'm, I'm living the dream. It's, it's really, really fun. On paper, I'm living the dream. And overall, I'm pretty happy inside. I mean, I have problems like anybody else. You know, Tim, I think you know, I was in a fifth, uh, 
16, 17 years ago, I was supposed to die with an incurable disease. I mean, I don't always have a good day. You know, God miraculously healed me, miraculously healed me. I'm perfect. I remember healthy. that. Those, one, those are one of my books that I wrote about. But the thing is, is that we all face stuff in life. We all have challenges. How do we respond to it defines who we are. So listeners, what you're hearing is the voice of a man who has, for 30 years, done what he didn't want to do when he didn't want to do it at the highest level, and he's reaping the benefits from it. He has been, you know, as in typical Midwestern style, it's probably the reason that we've always been friends. You know, we don't bullshit. He's telling you, he's telling you that it, it was not easy. He was telling you that it was, he doesn't have any special, you know, he wasn't being, guys, did you hear what he said? It's about doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it. And you have to do it for a long time. Everything that's worth having in life always seems to take about, I don't know, 50 to 100% longer than you think it would have. Maybe even 300% longer than you would have. But if you stick with it, you're going to win. So I had a question that just came up. You mentioned this earlier. This is something we talk about a lot on our podcast, a lot in our coaching program. As a matter of fact, a book that it's not our book, but I'll suggest, uh, if, Jeff, I know you know, know about this book, Ego is the Enemy. Ryan Halliday, and remember listeners, he's going to be speaking at our event in July. Um, he is the afternoon speaker on that Saturday. And you guys can go to harrisvipmastermind.com. One of the, you know, it's a New York Times bestselling book, but a fantastic book all about ego. Ego is the enemy. So Ryan, if you're listening, there's another free plug for you. You're welcome. So Jeff, how do you, you mentioned ego earlier, and that's something that nobody talks about. Certainly, I mean, that's very, very rarely a word that comes out of the mouths of a top producer. So you're aware of it. How has the ego, how have you kept your ego in check so you could keep focused for the most part on your personal North Stars? Well, I, I'm a faith-based guy, right? So there's a, there's a passage, uh, it's in Proverbs somewhere, and it says, pride comes before a fall, okay? I can, I can go back and there's times in my life where my ego was really big, okay? The first year in the business, I was rookie of the year. I sold more houses than any first year agent. The second full year that I was in the business, or the first the first full year that I was with Remax, I was a top guy in Minnesota and Wisconsin. The, we had a region, you know, North Central region. And my ego was kind of getting really big. I mean, look at me, you know, I'm on the right elevator now, right? I'm on the right elevator. And And then I mentioned something about taxes earlier in this call. I woke up on Jan. I always used to do my taxes myself back on January 1 was my day to do my taxes. January 1, 1989, I had this great year in, in uh, 1988, and I did my taxes, and I found that I owed $40,000, and I didn't have the money. I kind of freaked out, and I took out a home equity line to pay the IRS, and I had to pay the money back. And that's when I really started to focus, uh, you know, but the problem that I look back, I was so, uh, so full of myself back then, right? So full of myself. And it's happened more than once in my life. That was in real estate. Once I was doing stock options, I, I lost six figures in one day doing stock options because I was so freaking good. I was so, and you know, it, it's it, the way I, the way I see it, it's like, God is teaching me. Don't be like that. You don't, you don't need to be like that. I'm going to take care of you and everything. But that's how I process, processed it in my mind. And if I'm at church, I might be given a talk. And I, and I talk about this, pride comes before a fall. Those two times in real estate, I was super pumped up. Look how great I am. And 
boom, I just got leveled. And then the same thing happened with, with uh, stock trading. And I can go into the details, but trust me, I was, I was just making, I turned 100000 into $400,000 in like four months. And I'm just, oh, I'm going to go into, I'm going to get an SEC license. I'm all pumped up and I get the little voice inside that says, stop doing this. I said, no, no, I'm, 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 you know, I'm good at this. I'm really good at this. The 400 grand went to nothing. It took four more months. So I learned from those things. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it's good to feel good about yourself, but there's a difference between confidence, which we all need and arrogance, which is the ego part. You got to know where that line is. You want to be confident. So people see that in you. You're a leader displaying confidence. People hire you when they see the confidence, but they don't want anything to do with you when they start to see the arrogance. Know where that line is. So you, that's an interesting way to think of it. So you're saying that you know that the ego is becoming toxic when you are feeling it or when you see it in other people where it's become arrogance. That's kind of an interesting flip side. I like how concise that is, Jeff. That's good. Because it is true. You know, a lot of people, they'll, the, the ego has, a bene, has some sort of purpose, I suppose, which I'm not really, I've never heard anyone really completely describe what it is, but it, it does have people. some benefit. Sure. Yeah. It does. But then where's the tipping point? Where does it actually become where it becomes a wealth destroyer? And that's something, Jeff, I think it's interesting when you think about all the people you and I have known who've been absolute private jet flying, you know, diamond encrusted gold, gold Rolex wearing, you know, all these people, same as we do, you yes. sure know more. And where are they now? And what happened? Why did they go from where they were to where they are now? What actually happened? And if you, you here's the thing, listeners, it's not a mystery because things like this have been happening for all of history. People have this tendency not to learn from their own experiences. Jeff described in, you know, very, I think, explicit ways, three different ways that he basically had fallen prey to his ego. And all of us have stories like that. But here's the thing, listeners, you, there's an old Chinese proverb that says smart man learns from his mistakes. A brilliant man learns from the mistakes of others. You need to be thinking about that and try to learn from people like Jeff who are so willing to contribute to you. And I have to say, Jeff, you are the same quality gentleman that I remember you uh, as being back when Julie and I got in the business. Always been willing to share, never felt a big ego from you. I don't remember you being an ego guy, by the way. I remember you being one of the only guys in the whole Howard Britton camp that wasn't a big ego guy because the Howard Britton environment did foster ego. I mean, that is basically was the undertone of all those meetings. A lot of wonderful people, but for the most part, that was just the ego was so thick. It wasn't even, it wasn't even funny. That became the currency is, you know, ego. Um, and Jeff was never mm -hmm. like that. Jeff was always one of these guys that was staying true to basically being in the business to stay profitable. So Jeff, as we round the bend on today's podcast, you obviously have an opportunity and have had an opportunity, you know, over your career to be influential on the next generation of real estate folks. A big general question, but is there anything in particular you'd like to say? Something that if you could just grab the industry by the collar and shake it that you would say to it? I would encourage everyone to believe in yourself. Have have the faith in yourself and and mirror and match that faith by in yourself by doing what you say you're going to do so you you have you have to implement the integrity and continue to learn this is this is an industry that always changes it has so many opportunities continue to learn so and you can do anything that you determine that you want to do 
And it's not going to happen overnight. I'm giving a lot of little thoughts here, but it's not going to happen overnight. But nothing is impossible. Another passage. Nothing is impossible to those who believe. Do you believe you can do it? It's really important. Do you believe that you can achieve what it is that you want? If you're only wondering or you're only wishing or you're only hoping, you know, that's kind of weak. You know, do you believe? And then you can even take it another level. Do you know? Do you absolutely know that if you commit to something, you will achieve it? That is the highest level of confidence that you can have if you know that you can do it. And it takes practice. It takes time. But you can do it. Don't wish and wonder. Don't hope. Don't keep your fingers crossed and just think. But start to believe and then move up to the highest level of knowing that you know that you know that you know that if you commit to study, if you commit to prospecting, if you commit to laying out a business plan, if you commit to believing in yourself, nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing. You can achieve anything you put your mind to. Follow one course until successful, guys. Focus. So, Jeff, um, a lot of folks listening right now, a lot of them are going to connect with you, hopefully send referrals to you. Um, so be gratuitous as you'd like. How can they connect with you? What areas do you serve? Um, what are you know anything that you can think that how we can pay you back for your time with us today? No, I appreciate that, Tim, uh, and I appreciate uh, the listeners who took the time to listen to Tim and I. And it's been great to talk to you, Tim. But uh, anyone can reach me. I'm in the uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul area, the Twin Cities of Minnesota. We do have spring and summer here. It's beautiful, and the fall is not bad either. But uh, winter is sometimes challenging. But here's how you can reach me. Uh, my email is my name, jeff at com. J-E-F-F at S-C-I-S-L-O-W.com. And I'm with Remax Results. I think that's probably the best way versus giving out a cell phone. Uh, so that doesn't go crazy, but feel free to email me if I can help anyone uh, with your referrals or if you have any questions, I'd be happy to try to help you. And uh, yeah, that's been a big part of my my life and my career. You know, it all started with Howard. I'd like to give Howard Britton, our deceased buddy, he gave us all an opportunity and a platform to be able to give back. He believed in us. He interviewed Tim and Julie, he interviewed me. He interviewed uh, like 280 people, I think. Uh, something like that, that he handpicked. And he made a big, big difference in our lives to give us that platform and opportunity to share just like we're doing here today with this audience. So thanks, Tim, again, for allowing me to uh, be a part of your show. Congratulations on your success. And uh, look forward to uh, some more conversation in the not too distant future. Indeed, Jeff. I promise you we'll stay connected. There won't be any, another 10-year gap or 15-year gap. <laughs> we've we've been busy building Sounds a business, good. but that's, that's a lame excuse. So, Jeff, listen, I really appreciate it. I meant everything I said. Listen, listeners, you guys, a lot of you are thinking about what does it sound like? What does it feel like? What Can I make real estate a career? Can this be truly the vehicle that's going to allow me to build an incredible life? Yes. The obvious answer What's the path you stay on? What's it, it's your choice as to whether or not you want to make it painful and follow gimmicks and look for shortcuts, or you actually drill down and do as our Marine here said, and do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level, and understand that it will come, but you have to be worthy of the success. You have to be somebody that has earned it, and there are no shortcuts, guys. 
I know the world is full of shortcuts. I know that right now, while you're listening to this podcast, you got 47 emails from 47 different companies trying to sell you shortcuts. You just got to say, hell no. You just got to realize that they're all just basically, you know what? I'm not saying they're 100% goofy, but they're 99% goofy. So just say no. Be willing to do what others aren't willing to do, and you'll have a life that others will never be able to have. We're not bragging. We're not being boastful. We're just being honest. So, Mr. Sislow, I really appreciate your time on the podcast today. Really appreciate your contribution to the industry. Really appreciate the influence you had on Julie and I a couple of decades ago. Uh, God bless you. And listeners, we'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. Thanks, Tim. See you, Jeff. This program yeah. has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>